Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. The mailbag stuff's always my favorite show. I know it's your favorite show. Uh, it's the people show. That's why it's our favorite. Yeah, it's the people show. That's a good way to put it. Uh, you guys get to drive the content. You tell us what you want to talk about or you want us to talk about, and we do our best to do that. And so we got several questions lined up. We actually ended up having a lot more than the standard four or five. And we'll probably continue to have some roll in as people, you know, see, you know, I think I tweeted it out last night that we were going to be doing it. Typically people come across that tweet later. I end up getting more questions kind of sprinkled throughout. So we're going to turn this into at least two episodes over the next couple of days. Could end up having to carry over in the, in the next week or something, which is totally fine if that ends up happening. But we'll go ahead and dive right in because I don't want to spend too much time kind of previewing what we're going to be talking about. But uh, the first question on the list is going to be from Alex Tran on Twitter. And he asked, hey, Clint, question for the show. What player from last year's freshman class has the biggest impact that we didn't get to see much of this year? It was ranked as the highest of all time, but we really only saw Kool-Aid in Dallas throughout the season. Thanks, man. Love what you and Jimmy are doing. What an awesome question. And you know what's hilarious is... Maybe it's not hilarious, but the very first name that came to mind was Kamar Whedon. But uh, all right, forget that one. Uh, not Kamar. Freshman that's going to have a big impact this season that we didn't see much of. Uh, yeah. Um, we did see quite a bit of Ja'Cory Brooks, by the way. I, I think we probably saw as much Ja'Cory as we did Kool-Aid. The very end of the Yeah, at the end of the year, it sort of made up for not – in other words, he was a, a pretty – constant presence from November on and, and sort of absent in September and October. Uh, I'll tell you, my, my answer might be a little surprising, and, and it's a little bit of a projection, which I'm uncomfortable with because those could be so wrong. But I'm going to – uh no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to go to the sure thing. <laughs> there is a sure thing in my mind. That's Deontay Lawson. Uh, I, I think they has, has a very good chance of, of starting – at Will Linebacker, I think one of the great battles this spring is going to be between uh, the young kid, Deontay Lawson, and the veteran, Jalen Moody, who's returning instead of uh, going through with his portal plans. Uh, I think Moody and Lawson is a heck of a battle, uh, kind of different players. I think Lawson's more of the modern 2022 inside linebacker because he he's good in coverage. He can he can he has a lot of range. He can play laterally or backwards and not just downhill or, or, or just in the box, whereas Moody is a little more old school that way. I think Moody is sort of the inside linebacker we're all used to seeing at Alabama, a uh, physical, big, strong uh, sort of sort of rules the tackle box. 
uh, and Lawson just more rangy. But we didn't see a lot of Lawson. I think he played in four games, which, which means uh, he redshirted. Uh, so he'll be a redshirt freshman uh, this this uh, fall in his second year. So my answer is Lawson. Uh, I'll, I'll just say real quickly, I considered Terrence Ferguson, uh, a name that might surprise some people. But again, it's a projection. Maybe it's a hope. But, but I'm thinking Ferguson makes a run this spring at a starting guard spot. Yeah, so first of all, I love Lawson. Um, he was going to be my pick until Jalen Moody decided to stay. Now, I'm still kind of on board with that. I still agree with everything that you said, but I'm not as sure of it as I once was. Just because, you know, do they invite Jalen Moody to come back and really talk him out of getting in the transfer portal only to start Deontay Lawson and then have him, you know, be a backup again. Now, granted, it could be a situation where it says, hey, take yourself out of the transfer portal, participate in the spring, figure out where you're at, and then you can decide if you want to go elsewhere. You know, you, you have a chance to compete and start this year for us. You know, why would you go try to compete somewhere else? We got to learn a whole new system and do all that. So maybe that was the the kind of talking points between the two parties it was not hey we think you can start we think you're gonna start come on back it was hey you got an opportunity to compete compete before you try to go find a you know quote unquote better situation elsewhere so if that is truly the case and i think that deontay lawson has a very good shot at starting and i think he's going to be a great player to end up taking a big step forward and becoming a, a household name in alabama's defense you know there was other guys that i considered do you consider the amount that we saw jc latham to be a little bit too much. I know he said Kool-Aid and Dallas Turner. J.C. Latham was not included. He didn't really start any games, but he did come in and play. I thought he looked pretty good, whether it be right tackle, right guard, left tackle. I think he ends up being in the starting lineup. I've heard really good things about where he's at physically. It's a matter of mastering the, the mental side of things, learning the playbook, what he needs to do on a consistent basis. And when he does that, which I think he does in this offseason, I think he's going to take a huge step forward. So that would be a player, you know, I could see a lot of people picking one of those receivers, you know, a Jai Hall, JoJo Earl, Christian Leary. Uh, I could also see somebody, you know, trying to make a bold prediction with Robbie Oots. Um, but for me, I'm going to get a little bit bold. And, and it's something that I've kind of, I think they fill a very specific void in a very specific role. And that's either Damon Payne, D there I did it again, Damon Payne or Montel <laughs> Goodwan. You got DJ Dell, you got Tim Smith, you got Byron Young, you got Justin DeBoigby. You have a lot of players who have had a lot of playing time who are going to be in that rotation. More than likely, one of those two younger guys probably doesn't start, but they're both extremely talented, and I think they can provide something as far as being an interior pass rusher. Both of them have explosive first steps. They're you know not overly big guys, but have some pass rushing ability, and I think that Alabama on the interior is going to need that. And Byron Young is a great run stopper. Tim Smith, DJ Dell, Aboigby, you know, all those guys can stop the run pretty well, some better than others. But then you also got guys who can pass rush a little bit. But I think that if you can find that complimentary Christian Barmore, that's kind of the role that I would see. You know how he was kind of a situational, rotational guy before his final season? That's kind of what I could see from one of those two guys. So I'll go ahead and put one of those two players, and I don't know which one. I think it could be either or. I, I like both. But uh, I would probably put one of those two guys in the, the slot for me. Uh, the next question is going to be somewhat similar, but I think we're also going to be able to expand a little bit. It won't be confined to just the 2021 class, but the Hypes Man Award on Twitter asked, who are your picks to have a breakout spring practice from each side of the ball? Who is on the clock as far as improve or go home? 
I guess those are two different questions. Um, yeah. Breakout player on the in the spring on offense. Uh, offense, there's going to be more opportunity. You know, a lot, a lot of new jobs. Uh, I'm going to go. Um, you know, does Jameer Gibbs count? I mean, uh, it, it, I don't know that he's breaking out. He, he's already an All American. He just hadn't done it here. I, I think that's almost too easy or, or doesn't count in my mind. Uh, I'm going to go for a breakout. I'm, I'm going to have to pick one of the wide receivers, and, and I'm going to go with, with actually a returning starter uh, who, who who still is in need of a breakout, and that's JoJo Earl. Uh, I, I think JoJo Earl is a better player than what we saw in the games this fall. Uh, I think he's still getting his feet under him. Uh, I still think he's learning, but – I'm still impressed by it. They didn't pick his name out of a hat. All the other freshman receivers showed up in the spring, learned the offense all through the spring, showed up in the summer and fall knowing what to do. Joe Earl shows up later than all of them and jumps ahead of every single one of them. JoJo played before all the other guys, and, and he was a late arrival. I, I refuse to believe that's because they, they owed him a favor or picked his name out of a hat. I, I think he earned it on the practice field. And I think he showed Coach Saban and Holman Wiggins a lot uh, in fall camp. And, and, and for whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him in the games. Uh, I think it will happen for him this year. So JoJo Earl is going to be my breakout player of the spring on offense. On defense, a little tougher to do that because we return so many starters. But a guy that I think is going to take a huge leap from year one to year two is Kool-Aid McKinstry. Um, I, I think Kool-Aid was a good – I think last year what I would say about Kool-Aid is, Kool is he was really good for a freshman, uh, for a true freshman that, that started games, that started playoff games. I think he did a, a fantastic job for a freshman. And I think this year Kool-Aid's going to do a fantastic job for an SEC cornerback. I, I think he's going to take a big step and, and become – one of the league's better cornerbacks this year, and it'll start this spring. So those are my two breakout players for the spring, offensive defense, JoJo Earl and Kool-Aid McKinstry. Love where your head's at as far as the receivers. That's kind of where I was in line with a little bit. Part of me thought about saying Ja'Cory Brooks because it's not just about getting playing time. It's kind of, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to, you know, assert himself into a much larger role in Alabama's offense. I also thought about putting a Jai Hall out there, but I think with Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks, and then you also got, uh, you know, JoJo Earl potentially there in the slot. You know, you got some guys in front of him, but if he has the kind of spring that he had last year, but with a little bit more consistency where it's not just flashing in the A-Day game, it's uh, every time you step on the practice field, you're making plays, you're proving that you're a reliable target. I could see him making a pretty big leap. J.C. Latham would actually be my pick, though, if I had to choose one. Just because, like I said, I think that he's going to end up starting. And not only that, I think he's going to be confident enough to really take some huge steps as far as, you know, not only becoming a starter, but becoming a really good, very reliable starter in Alabama's offense. So I thought about saying somebody like Seth McLaughlin, if he can end up, you know, taking over that starting center position and hanging on to it. I think having that anchor is very important to your offense. Uh, a dark horse player that I also considered just because I thought it was interesting. Now, I could see either one of these two guys, but that's Damian George or Amari Kite. Amari Kite's the one that a lot of people forget about, but I did think it was interesting that, you know, he ended up being the guy to come in when Damian George kind of got benched for Chris Owens. When Owens goes out, 
you know, what was it against uh, Georgia in the SEC championship? You ended up seeing uh, Amari Kite come in at right tackle. And so I do think the coaching staff has not forgotten about him. I think he's going to get an opportunity to get some playing time. So he would be like a dark horse. You know, really no one talks about him anymore very much. And that's why I wanted to make sure I included him. Um, but he wouldn't necessarily be my pick. My pick, you know, specifically would probably be J.C. Latham defensively. Thought about a lot of guys. We talked about Deontay Lawson. Love him. Talked about Damon Payne. Talked about Monkel Goodwan. You know, I could see Byron Young taking a Fedarian Mathis type of step where he's just kind of a guy in the rotation who you know is pretty good, but it kind of feels like they're underappreciated. I could see Byron Young being that guy. You know, but I wouldn't say breakout to the, in the sense where he com- becomes like a dominant player, uh, even though you know Fedarian Mathis kind of did. He really he still didn't get as much appreciation as he probably should. So I really love your pick with Kool Aid. Uh, that is one that probably sh- makes the most sense, but I'm going to also get bold here and throw somebody out there. I think DeMarco Hellams has a breakout year. You know, he's going like to be going into the year a lot healthier, at least that we hope that he's going to. And, you know, down the stretch when he started to get healthy, he played a lot better. And I think with Jordan battle being a guy, the defenses are going to try to avoid if possible on the back half of Alabama's defense, you're going to have Eli Ricks. You're going to have Kool-Aid McKinstry. You're going to have Kyrie Jackson. I think that DeMarco Helms gets a lot of opportunities. He's good against the run. He's better, you know, in coverage than people give him credit for. Does he have the occasional coverage laps or mental laps that causes or allows a big play? Uh, some of that, I think, was physical. There were physical limitations to what he was able to do when he would give up some of that stuff, but also – uh, I think he's, you know, still an improving player. And so he would probably be my candidate for a guy who really takes a big step forward and gives Alabama one of the best one-two punches at safety in the entire country. Next question on the list is from Jack Howard on Twitter. And he asked, where does Will Anderson rank among the tied linebackers all time for y'all? I rate him fairly high up on my list, and he still has at least another year RTR. Well, I – you know, I, I want to say number one is where I'll rank him. Now, keep this in mind, a couple of all-time greats are just before my time. I mean, I, I didn't really see Leroy Jordan play except on black and white highlight film. Um, you know, so I, I kind of have to go myself from the 80s forward in terms of guys that I saw a ton of. Uh, the only linebackers I've seen at Alabama that would compare to Will Anderson, the only ones I would put in the same sentence with Will are Derek Thomas and Cornelius Bennett. And you often hear Derek Thomas's name in conjunction with Will's because of Derek's unbelievable sack numbers and Will has great sack numbers. But I've been insisting lately, Will's a lot more like Cornelius Bennett to me, uh, not because he doesn't measure up to Derek as a pass rusher. I think he almost does. But one great thing about Cornelius Bennett was Cornelius was an awesome pass rusher, but he was good at everything. He also could have played other positions. Cornelius could have lined up inside. Uh, and as a matter of fact, he did play inside in the NFL a lot. Uh, it, Cornelius was just a, a linebacker that could play any position. Mike, Will, Jack, Sam, he could do it all. He could play defensive end. He could drop into coverage before linebackers doing that was cool, but he could still do that. As a matter of fact, when Cornelius came to Alabama, there's a lot of discussion uh, about playing him on offense because he was so fast. He could have played running back or tight end. And see, I think Will could do a lot of that. I think Will reminds me of Cornelius Bennett just being a pure football player. Calling him just a pass rusher is just wrong. He's good against the run. He defeats blocks. He runs around blocks. 
he can drop into coverage. We actually do that with him sometimes. People get mad when we do that. They think we're wasting his talent. But to me, I, I like showing the offense that you never really know where Will's going to be. Uh, I, I think a better comparison for Will's Cornelius Bennett, I, I'll stick with that, though he could make a run at Derek's sack records. Uh, but I, I consider Will in the top three for sure uh, of linebackers in my cognizant Alabama lifetime. Um, and, and, and frankly, I'll be surprised, Clint, at the end of next season, if, if, if Will is healthy all during his junior season, I'll probably leave it saying he's the best linebacker I've ever seen play football at Alabama. I think that uh, Will Anderson, from what I've kept up with and I've seen, is the best linebacker. You know, I say best linebacker, definitely the best pass rusher that I've ever seen, not just at Alabama, but maybe in the history of college football, not on the NFL level. But based off of what I've seen, now granted, here's the thing. I agree with you. It's very difficult when you're trying to evaluate or compare players and, and compare greatness when you don't actually get to witness the greatness live. And it's my problem with Derek Thomas is I've gone back, I've watched how incredible he was, which he, he absolutely was. But I've heard people talk about how wonderful he was, but I didn't get to witness it live. And I think that that makes it lose a little bit of its luster. You know, when you're talking about Tua Tungvaloa, you'll always remember the statistics. Players will look back and say, you know, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks in Alabama football history. Look at those numbers. Look at the great things you'll hear about the second 26. But as an Alabama fan, can you remember witnessing that play live? It felt like all hope was lost. He got sacked on the first play of, of overtime. They're down. You think, man, they're in big trouble. They might even be out of field goal range now. And then to watch him as a true freshman in the national championship game, not only had he brought them back to that point to get them to overtime, but delivers that incredible football. You got to witness the greatness. You got to witness the, the feeling of defeat throughout the second half thinking, man, I'm not sure Alabama is going to be able to come back in this one and then turn around and watch him and deliver that throw in that moment. You understand everything. You have the emotion attached to the moment that makes you appreciate his greatness more. That is something that I can't do with Derek Thomas that I can do with Will Anderson. So if you were to ask me to pick between the two, maybe just simply out of respect for what I know about Derek Thomas, and I trust the opinions of people who say, you know, Will Anderson's phenomenal, but I'm still going DT, you know, that's going to make me uh, respect their opinion and, and maybe not go that far. But from the greatness that I've witnessed, it's Will Anderson and it's not really close. And that's even now, you know, I expect him to have a big year next year, but uh, one of the best players that I've ever seen, and, and you're 100% right. You know, with, with dominant pass rushers, one way to kind of limit or mitigate what they're able to do as far as their impact is to run the football right at them. And you can't do that with Will Anderson because he's such a great run stopper. Like, there's really, you try to take him out of a game plan, and there's really no way to do it. I'm not saying the teams weren't able to limit him a little bit, but trying to completely eliminate him from a game plan, it's impossible. Because it doesn't matter if you're running to the opposite side. He's got a great motor. He's got great hustle. He's going to be able to track things down from the backside. You try to run the football at him. You can't do it. You try to, you know, drop back and pass. You can't do it. It's just it's extremely tough. So, all right, the, the last question. No, excuse me. we got two more questions. So, the next to last. Mom and Bama on Twitter asked, the situation with McCole Hardman calling out Jermaine Burton for leaving Georgia brings up a lot of questions. Is loyalty something that should be expected from players, and is that good or bad? Well, every situation is going to be a little different. Um, Jermaine Burton, now, I don't know all the details, and no, no one uh, publicly does, I, and I don't know them. And by details, I mean this. Um, 
I don't know exactly why Jermaine Burton left Georgia. Uh, there could be reasons that we're unaware of. I know on the surface why we all think he left, and I'm going to cover that. <laughs> but what we need to realize is the, these kids have lives of their own. They have lives. They have girlfriends and family and, 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 and best friends and uh, all sorts of things going on in their lives that we know nothing about. Uh, and, and Jermaine may have left Georgia for a reason related to that. And, and, and none of us will ever know it. We just all as fans go on what we know or assume we know. And it appears on the surface that Jermaine Burton left Georgia because he feels he wasn't being showcased or that all of his talents weren't being made obvious to scouts uh, and to fans because of Georgia's limitations on offense. Georgia doesn't throw the ball downfield. They don't throw it a lot. I think Jermaine Burton may feel like, hey, I caught 26 balls at Georgia. I can catch 60 at Alabama from a more gifted quarterback who's likely to be the first pick in the draft. Uh, that appears to be the reason he left. So I'm going to assume that it is until we know differently. Does that mean Jermaine was disloyal to Georgia? Um, maybe. Uh, if someone says that that's the case, I'm not really going to dispute it. I would just point out that Georgia isn't necessarily loyal to Jermaine Burton. Georgia is bringing in freshmen. They got a receiver named Smith that kind of missed all last year. They're high on. Uh, if Georgia feels like, hey, we like these two guys better than Burton, we're going to play Burton less, then Georgia has the right to do that. Maybe they would do that. Is that Georgia being disloyal to Burton? No, I think Georgia's going to play what they feel are their best players, regardless of who it is. So on that same token, Burton may feel like, I don't like how they use me. I don't like how they use me here. I want to play somewhere else where they'll use me differently. Uh, to me, that's, that's, that's apples and apples to me. I think Georgia does what's best for them. I think Burton's going to do what he feels is best for him. So I don't think it's disloyal. I think it's fair when you're talking about someone's career. Someone, I mean, this is the one shot he gets at, at, the, at the NFL. Uh, you know, you get your contract year before you play the NFL, your one year to show off. I, I just think that it's fair that all people of all walks, whether you're football players or lawyers or, or plumbers or work at Walmart, uh, you, you, you have your own career. And, and I think Jermaine made a decision that he felt was in the best interest of his career. Uh, I, I don't feel like that's any more disloyal than Georgia uh, benching uh, one of their players because they liked someone better. Uh, Georgia's going to do what's best for them. Uh, Jermaine did what was best for him, and I think it's fine. Did Georgia show loyalty to JT Daniels when they right. when he got hurt and they moved to Stetson Bennett, and then they wouldn't move off of Stetson Bennett back to JT Daniels, who was their savior, their starter, the preseason Heisman candidate? You know, they they had no issue not showing him loyalty, keeping him on the bench. You know, if you if you look. He entered the transfer portal, if I'm not mistaken. I know there were rumors, but I want to say it became official soon after Stetson Bennett said that he was coming back to Georgia. Jermaine Burton, same situation. Those two things are related, in my opinion. I don't think the timing of those two things happen by coincidence. Uh, I think that Jermaine Burton did not want to play again with Stetson Bennett. I don't think he probably has anything against him as far as being a person, but I think as far as where he fits and what he can do from a production standpoint in Georgia's offense with 
Stetson Bennett as the quarterback, I think he views that as being very limited. Now, I will say this. Loyalty was easier to demand when it meant that you set out a year. You know, I mean, it's all about the situation. You know, Jermaine Burton finds himself in a better situation by going from Athens to Tuscaloosa. That's the bottom line. No one can dispute that at this point. When you look statistically, I think I brought it up on Twitter yesterday, you know, Georgia has had three pass catchers, meaning a wide receiver or a tight end who have exceeded or came close to getting to or exceeding 700 yards receiving in a season only three times since Kirby Smart got to Georgia. Alabama has had, what, was it 13? And five of them alone came in the 2018 season alone. Georgia's had three in a five-year span. Alabama had five in a one-year span, 13 total. The point being is not only do featured receivers get used and, and are able to compete on a national level to compete for, you know, leading the league or college football in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns and receptions, they can also get a lot of people involved in their offense and allow them to be productive. So that is something else. You know, if it would have been, oh, wow, Jermaine Burton's transferring out to Alabama and he's got to sit out a year in order to be able to, to, to be eligible, that is, I mean, when you're willing to make that sacrifice, I mean, that's, that's a lot. You can, you can criticize that. Be like, you're not going to a better situation. you got to sit on the bench for a year before you get on the field. That's not a better situation than Georgia. I can't believe you're doing that. But when you can say, hey, I'm going from Stetson freaking Bennett to, to Bryce Young, uh, the Heisman, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, I mean, that's you, you can't blame the guy for wanting to do that. And the bottom line is, is 26 catches for you know f- just under 500 yards and five touchdowns is not going to make Jermaine Burton a day one or day two pick. It's certainly not a day one pick and maybe not a day two pick. You know, you can look at George Pick and say, well, hang on. I mean, he's never really exceeded, you know, 700 yards too much. And, you know, he's, he's also 6'3", 200 pounds, and he's kind of a freak athletically. Jermaine Burton's six foot, 200 pounds. And if you try to make the comparison to Henry Ruggs, you know, he never, you know, I want to say that he typically hovered around that 40 to 45 catch range and typically had, you know, 700 to 750 yards. And, but that one season, he had 11 touchdowns. But then also, what was the differentiating factor with Henry Ruggs compared to a guy like, you know, Jermaine Burton is he ran a four two forty? like NFL teams could look at him athletically and say, wow, a, he was playing in a very competitive offense. As far as pass catchers are concerned, he was playing with three other first round picks, but from a talent standpoint, the guy, I mean, he, he was five eleven, one ninety. I think he was listed at six foot at Alabama, but he was really five eleven. Uh, but he ran a four two forty. There was upside. Jermaine Burton doesn't run a four two. So him being six foot, 200 pounds, you need to take the John Mechie route. You need to be the guy that comes in and has close to 100 catches for over 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns. Then teams will say, hey, you know, he didn't offer a lot as far as upside. You know, he's not a big, you know, strong receiver. He's not a guy who's going to run really fast, but very reliable, does everything extremely well. John Mechie might not be a first-round pick, but he's probably going to be solidified as, as an early day-two pick or a mid-day-two pick, depending on injury situation and how NFL teams view it. So, I don't think that there's any issue with Jermaine Burton wanting to change his circumstances to put himself in a better position to have long-term success. And if your offense can't do that for him, then you can't blame him for wanting to seek out an offense that can. What do you want him to do? Stick around at Georgia, continue to you know have 500 yards receiving and five touchdowns on 25 catches. Hey, go be a fourth-round pick, dude, and then you can go make your money then. Like that's just this whole loyalty idea. It, it's he's in a better situation now. So that's what I got to say about that. And then the last question that we're going to talk about is Roll Tide VP on Twitter asked, possible candidates for a position change, I'll hang up and download. 
which I laughed at, by the way, that was, that was a good line. So Jimmy, what you got? Candidates for a position change. Who's going to be that next Trevon Diggs, Cameron Latou type of player is the way I took the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's an awesome question. Uh, I think a couple of freshmen may end up playing different spots than some think. I, I think long-term, if not even short-term, I wouldn't be surprised to see Emmanuel Henderson play safety and not running back. Um, and and I, I would agree that safety might be a better position for him long-term, though I don't dispute that he's good enough to play running back in the SEC. I believe he is uh, or will be. Um, but I think safety might be his best spot. In, in, in terms of the veterans on the team, though, um, how about um, – yeah, okay, I got one. Um, I think Anquan Barnes on the defensive line might, might be better suited for offense, and I felt that watching his high school tape. Um, now, he's built like a defender because he's long. He's got long arms and even long legs. He sort of looks like a defender to me but he's so big and Alabama, you know, we could use to get more athletic and a little better on the offensive line. We're sort of looking for answers there. So I'm not confident. I'm not, this isn't Jimmy saying, Hey, Anquan's moving to offense. I'm just saying that might be something they strongly consider because he, he might be a guy that could really help on the offensive line. And it does appear that his path to playing time on the defensive line could be a two or three year process. He could get on the field faster on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, if we're going to move a veteran, I say it's Anquan Barnes. In terms of where we think everyone's lining up in the fall, uh, I like Emmanuel Henderson uh, eventually to be on defense. Oh, man. Um, this is a very tough question because you're, I mean, uh, I do love the Emmanuel Henderson one. That was one that I kind of thought of, uh, you know, going from running back to safety, depending on what happens. I think. Personally, I think he gets to Alabama, and that's where he is at initially. And then depending on what happens, you know, if Jace McClellan's involved, Roy Dell Williams, Jameer Gibbs, there's so many players who could be, you know, you're still going to have Trey Sanders as of right now. That's four running backs. You also got Jamarian Miller, who really doesn't have that positional flexibility. So you got five guys, and you can always move Emmanuel Henderson back to running back if you start running into depth issues. But as far as, you know, him getting playing time, and you maybe putting him in a position to be able to contribute, which he's more than willing to do, then I would probably say he would be a candidate. Now, granted, DeMarco Hellams and Jordan Battle choosing to come back puts kind of a damper on that a little bit, even though behind those guys with Kane Williams and Antonio Kite and, you know, Devontae Smith and Jake Pope, though, I think all those players are talented. You know, Christian Story's another one. Um, I think all of those could end up developing into really good safeties, but there's nobody that you just sit there and say, okay, this is the next guy in line. You can do that at other positions. You really can't do that at safety where you just know that's the next wave. Um, so I think maybe from that standpoint, sure, that it's another big reason why, you know, looking at Eli Rex, looking at, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry's definitely got two more years. Earl Little, I think, is going to be somebody who contributes, you know, as far as, you know, special teams and depth early. You know, you still got Kyrie Jackson, which I've, you know, maybe thought about, you know, I think he could move to safety, although, you know, he's, you know, going to be going into a senior year. And I don't really think, you know, with those other two guys coming back, that it makes as much sense. I thought it might have made sense if one of those two guys didn't, but now that they're coming back, you know, from him, from an age standpoint, I, that's somebody that I think he probably ends up sticking at corner. Uh, but Terry and Arnold 
is probably one that I would consider uh, as far as long term. I think if he moved from corner to safety, I would view him more than likely in that next wave. Okay, this is the guy that we all expect to step up and take one of those starting jobs, probably along with Christian Story. You know, so that would be you know one that I would consider. Um, it, it's very, it's very difficult to predict this kind of thing, even though I think there's some candidates. But I also think it's kind of good that you can't really predict it because it means that Alabama's got a lot of guys who are locked into roles and locked into positions where you feel like they can contribute. Um, so I would probably say Terry and Arnold, and I really liked your your pick of Emmanuel Henderson, trying to think of maybe an outside like Drew Sanders would have been the perfect guy. Absolutely perfect. A, if he would have been willing to do it, which was the huge issue, is why he didn't want to go to Oklahoma and some other places, he, is he didn't want to play tight end. And also at Alabama, I'm sure they probably brought that idea up if he was concerned about his playing time at outside linebacker. And, you know, I think he would have been a great pass catching option, could have been one of those flex guys. And he probably didn't want to do that either. So he goes to Arkansas to remain on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, so that's one that, you know, as far as crossing from one side of the football to the other and having an impact and and that kind of thing, Drew Sanders was the perfect candidate, but he's now gone anyway. So, that's going to do it for today's episode, today's mailbag episode of the Bama on Three show. We got several more questions coming up. All of them have been fantastic. I, I love, yep. I've loved every, every, as I was going through them this morning and kind of, you know, a lot of them are, are similar. So you kind of, you know, make it like a two-parter kind of thing and kind of figuring out when we're going to answer what. Loved, li- you know, reading off all of them and just putting them into categories and, and just thinking about the discussion that we're going to have Today's episode has been fun. Tomorrow's episode is going to be fun. So, Jimmy, I uh, really appreciate you hopping on here with me, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Questions are great. Uh, can't wait. Once again, this has been the Bama on 3 show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply